Kevin O'Brien here, the FF Engineer. I host the Fantasy Football Engineering Podcast, where I bring on a guest each week to discuss a wide range of topics, all to apply practical knowledge in order to design, research, build, and maintain your dynasty rosters for now and beyond. I borrow brilliance from each guest and share how I leverage many different areas of expertise to accomplish a common goal of competing all year round. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Podbean. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and nerds all at once. When the mask's not adding up, you said I'm checking it Hello, welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. This is a member of the DLF family of podcasts. Damn, doesn't that sound professional? You know what? You know what I mean? Um, yeah, time to record a podcast. I was watching uh, Addison Hayes on the DLF YouTube channel do a buy this running back uh, video. And you should really watch it, but the answer is uh, he was talking about Miles Gaskin, and I realized I didn't have him on my list, and I should, because I've said it, but I haven't said it on this podcast or in a video when I did my buys and sells, so we got to go back and do look at that after the draft as well. Um, and uh, yeah, it was interesting, but I realized it's time to get back down to, you know, actionable information of some sort, uh, where the off-season has been... Uh, willing maybe yeah it's willing to let me just vent and talk about process and argue about things and uh yeah it's time to get back to some hey do this do that don't do that uh kind of things so to start that off i'm just going to run through where my pre-draft rookie ranks are i know it, it seems kind of weird to do it as an just a solo podcaster but that's what i'm doing so yeah, let's 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 get into it. Uh, no drops. I still don't have drops. Um, quarterback position, I guess. Uh, yeah, I don't have a lot for you here. Uh, like I don't do a lot of quarterback evaluation, but I do know when just to ignore people. Uh, I guess reevaluating or tilting real hard, and it seems to me that yeah, Trevor Lawrence is a QB one because everyone says so, pretty much, um, including Travis Mayer-Rodovis, who thinks he's uh, pretty much the exceptional prospect we've been waiting for. Um, Justin Fields is QB2. I don't know why everyone's getting fancy with it, and we'll see what the draft brings, but uh, most of the reasons rolled out to try and get Zach Wilson or Mac Jones or anyone into the QB2 uh, spot seem like just tilting so I'm sticking with uh, Justin Fields at two I've got Zach Wilson at three because he's a guy lots of people are trying to insert as quarterback two now that all the games are played now we finally knew who was good I guess is the logic and so we should reinvent what what everyone knew about them after the games were played apparently and I don't get it but Zach Wilson seems pretty good all of these guys have good CPOs good completion percentage as were expected um, Mac Jones actually has the highest CPO over expected in his last year, but he was at a lower conference and he has some off-field concerns that 
yeah, I don't, I don't like the sound of, so I'm willing to slot them in behind Zach Wilson, at least, since they all crossed the threshold of having been efficient in the last year, reasonably young with a good amount of experience in terms of overall passing attempts before they're entering the NFL, but they're not entering in too high an age. Now, someone who doesn't quite fit that mold, though, I've got slotted in just as a random name I found fitting those criteria that I haven't seen anything on, really, is Kellen Mond. So I've got him as a QB4 because he had experience, but he played at a slightly later age. He's coming out at a slightly later age. But outside of that, he's got some background in uh, rushing ability as well, which is something I vaguely like to look for when I look at the quarterback tab in the database at all. And um, yeah, I, I, th- I think he was decent. Uh, and that's a name. There you go. There's four quarterbacks ranked. Um, let's move on to running Running, running back ranks. Wow, you didn't even see that drop coming, did you? Um, so yeah, I've got Najee Harris at one because he was better than everyone. I, I don't know what to tell you here. Harris um, played more of a three-down role, was more efficient, had better yards per team attempt than Travis Etne. He did it at a later year. He's coming out a slightly older, which is kind of a feature of this class, and most running backs went to the top 12, but mostly I profile running backs by what they did in their best seasons. In their best seasons, Najee Harris is exactly what you want. If you go and rank his very high-ranking conference with you know good defenses and a good history of um, producing running backs that were interesting for fantasy, by yards per team attempt or weighted yards per team attempt, which is one of the two of the best metrics to look at running back through. Nigel Harris is in the top five in terms of his best season being um, in the top five for the conference. So, like, it happened late. I get it. But he was good. Am I willing to say you don't have to go running back over wide receiver because all things aren't equal here compared to the wide receiver one? Yeah, honestly, we'll see what happens in the draft. But I think running backs might not go early. Like they didn't last year, frankly, but there's also a lack of hype around these guys um, compared to last year. I, I think Nigel Harris is going to be a pretty good running back, or else or, or being equal, I guess, um, with top 12 upside and everything else. Um, and I have him slightly ahead of Etne, but they're definitely in a, a single tier together. Oh yeah, I should mention tiers. Um, tiers are really important in pre-draft, and I have one, two players in my running back one tier. That's Nigel Harris and Travis Etne. Um, and that's the order of them. Now, I, the problem I have with the Etne uh, is nothing, really. He just played slightly worse than, uh, or his overall numbers are slightly worse um, to my eye than Najee Harris. Um, he has a little bit more of a receiving uh, history. Uh, 12% of his 700 touches came in the receiving game, which is really positive, actually, for receiving upside. Um, I just also don't think that's an escalation because you have slightly more receiving work. You're going to be Alvin Kamara. That's not what I'm, I think here. I think both of them displayed a three-down skill set and can be used that way. And I think Harris was slightly better at it. Um, okay, uh, second tier for running backs. I have Javante Williams, Kenny Gamewell, Chubba Hubbard. And I slipped Michael Carter in there just at the end because I kind of like him as well. Um, this tier of running backs is, I guess, some of them are going to have to, one or two of them, depending on draft gap, are going to go in the end of the first round. But I, I don't know about that, strongly considering wide receivers after those first two running backs in, uh, in the first round with, you know, a good, decent, healthy conversation about whether to take wide receiver or running back over each other. 
um, uh, in round one of our rookie drafts. Um, my running back three, the first person at the top of that second tier, is Javante Williams. He's the last player in this class, really, with a positive comparison score, which is not something I put in my database, but it's something I'm tinkering with, just comparing uh, players' stats and also ancillary metrics um, to pass running backs to create kind of a comparison grade. It's not ready yet, so don't ask. But um, he only touched the ball 408 times with 2,778 total yards. This is not a feature of this class. Coming out at when most running backs come out with a fairly good yardage total and having had the role for a decent number of years, like that's that's rare, actually, in this class. And Javante Williams passes that uh, threshold, and he was fairly decent on his touches. So, yeah, I like Javante Williams. Decent history of pass catching as well. Not exceptional in terms of again we're not talking about he's gonna be Elvin Kamara we're gonna talk we're talking about he could be a three damn running back um as much as anyone is in the league these days Kenny Gamewell is next in that tier so what is that fourth on the list I have some concerns with Kenny Gamewell because people that I trust that watch football say he's not it he's using athleticism he bounces it outside he doesn't block very well I don't know. I just know that the one year that he has before he had to opt out um, was actually exceptional. He has very good stats that compare well to pass breakouts. But running back is less about production because we can't see some of those ancillary things that the NFL at least is going to value very high. So I want to see what happens to him in the draft more than most. Um, Because, again, 70% of his yards came from the rushing game. 17% of his touchdowns touches were receptions. This is a fella who had a lot larger role in the receiving game, which is a little more exciting, provides a little more floor. And again, um, he's not Naheem Hines, who had 60% of his yards coming from the rushing game as opposed to 70%, so he's a little bit more of a rusher as well. Uh, since Pro Day Times has come out, I guess I, 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 guess I should look at that because I, I look at him so little, I honestly don't know. Kenny Gamewell. Uh, I actually don't have his pro day times yet, so I don't know if he's a tiny guy. I don't really care. I just want to know if the NFL is going to filter for us in terms of his size and that that ooh, only one year of production and some bad tape. What's going to happen to him? I don't know. Um, but his overall numbers compared to past prospects, I like. I think perhaps one of the values in this tier and in this draft entirely is Chuba Hubbard. If he came out last year, I think we would have liked him more, but he would have been pushed down further but also probably taken higher so he's in this really weird position of being a value but not a value but that last year was disappointing but it was 2020 and we're making exceptions for everyone else i don't know um he has a better nfl profile really than a than a fantasy profile uh but he comes in from the right kind of conference where the nfl likes to spend draft capital um what else did i write down here I don't know. Look, he was a running back who was more of a rusher than he was a receiver, but he was fairly decent. And his one, his best year, which unfortunately wasn't his last year, I get it, um, was exceptional. Honestly, it was a really good year. Um, he was like 1.2 yards per attempt above his team's average for running back ones, 1.8 yards per attempt above the conference average for running back ones, and that's from a very healthy conference. Um, and his overall average in his best season was like 0.5 yards per attempt above those who have hit for a top 12 season. Like that, that, that one good year 
was really good and we usually profile running backs based on their or I usually profile running backs based on their best year um, and Chuba Hubbard had a hell of a year at age when was it when was it Pete you can do this do it real quick like don't even mention it uh, age 20 so um yeah he's also coming out he'll be 22 which is a little below average it's not great um but it's better than Najee Harris at 23 so there you go I, 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 I don't mind Chuba Hubbard at all I quite like him actually because he's like a rushing running back, or more primarily he was more of a rushing running back, um, that the rushing running back lovers don't love. So I get, I get to like a rusher for a change. I like that. Um, Michael Carter rounds out this tier. He's someone that played a split role in college, but he did well in that role. Um, three years of 20 receptions of more, or 20 receptions or more, crossing the Zach Reed role. His com- uh, conference is given us Giovanni Bernard. Hat tip to the Geo for Life Club. Uh, James Conner and Lamar Miller, all of which have played some sort of committee at some point and at least been decent running backs um, while in a committee and have shown upside when they weren't in a committee. Um, overall, he broke out... Uh, well, I know we don't break out age for running backs much, but in his first year at age 18, he developed like 20% of the team's total running back role. And I think that's pretty neat, a guy coming in and doing that, you know. Um, he's 0.4 over his team's average for running back ones, 1.1 yards per attempt above his conference average. And that's a conference average for the ACC Coastal, whatever whatever that is, wherever it comes from. Um, and I don't know, like I say, I've just mentioned a whole bunch of running backs that in the past have been drafted from there, first round and later. Most recently, not so much, but, um, you know. I don't mind him at all. Um, I think he's slightly underlooked because he was playing a slightly uh, split role. Uh, second or third tier of running back, and I'm going to end here. No, sh- sh- we'll do we'll do a live stream on these ranks because I just did one on wide receivers as well, where I go into more depth. But my third tier of running backs are just guys. I guess I might consider in the second round at this point. Yeah. Yeah, they're second-round running backs for me right now. Jamal Jefferson, Kalen Hill, Trey Sermon, and Elijah Mitchell. like them all for different reasons, but they all have different kind of red flags. Jamal Jefferson was hot, was hotness in ranks earlier this offseason. People seem to have called on him. I never got quite got so high, so I think I found myself right on the average of how people feel about him. I don't know most people will have him below Carter because of that split role he played in college, but... Yeah, Jefferson's okay. Uh, um, again, he's one of the few prospects in this draft class that's kind of coming out when you expect running backs to come out. He's 21 years old. He also broke out for 20% uh, of the team's uh, running back role at age 18, which is nice, to be fair. Um, one yards per team attempt over his team average, 1.2 over his conference average in his best year, but he's kind of... Smack on the average for players that have had significant fantasy production in the NFL. Um, And so he doesn't... I give Michael Carter a slight edge there. Um, But anyway. uh, Let's see, what else can we say about Justin Jefferson? What what don't we like about him? What do we like about him? What do we like about any of these prospects this year? Um, Where is it? 
I skipped over so far. He did have 74% of his team's opportunities, uh, running back opportunities last year, which is a fairly heavy role. And again, coming from Oregon State, the Pac-12, I, I think the NFL might be interesting. We're interested in him. He actually comes out overall in fifth in my pre-draft model, and that's with two guys who definitely shouldn't be up there. Um, for reasons that I might explain later. Um, but the pre-draft model likes him as well as Edna and Harris is honestly the answer. He, he could probably be a little higher, to be honest. Um, hopefully the NFL can tell me to like him a little bit more. I just... Uh, where he's coming from, Royce Freeman, Miles Gaskin is kind of the recent history of the draft, and I guess that just makes me gun-shy. Kalen Hill, I think, is a little more interesting because he's a little more under the radar. He's 240 pounds at six foot tall. Um, which gives him a 70 BMI, a 30 BMI. Fortunately, those kind of things actually matter for running back a little bit more because they matter a lot more for the uh, for the NFL um, in terms of draft capital and everything else. He consistently had 70% of the team's receiving yards. I think you have a decent skill set here, um, despite the fact uh, that I think he had limited playing time as well. Uh, again, 2020 made falls of us all. He played for three years, 500... 15 touches overall, 3,000 yards, 6.1 yards per touch. All of those are pretty decent numbers. Um, but again, he's coming out at age 23 because he played at a slightly older age. Um, but overall, again, um, I, I think he's a little more athletic. I think he's a little bit better built and someone who's to play a better history of a receiving skill set. He's below Jefferson, but I like him outside of that. Someone I think might get higher than Taylor Hill is uh, Trey Sermon. That's mainly because he's coming from uh, Oklahoma and then to Ohio State. Depending on how you want to read Trey Sermon's profile, it's like the running back who couldn't quite dominate a backfield and then dominated a backfield but worse than the player who left and then was not very good in the NFL. So is it good that a team traded for him and he became the running back one immediately for a really good school like Ohio State? I guess... But also, it was less impressive than other Ohio State running backs, and he couldn't dominate in Oklahoma. And there's this constant back and forth because of injuries and availabilities. And I just, I don't know. It all seems a little bit much to me, I guess. Um, we'll see what the NFL thinks. Elijah Mitchell rounds out this running back, perhaps second round running back in rookie draft tier. Um, Elijah Mitchell's interesting. Um, as well, which is why he's up here. He's got 6.5 yards per touch, and it is something I like just to get an overall idea of how efficient um, a player, as long as they were getting a decent role, were in college. Um, I don't know why, because running back stats suck. That's about why. Um, the average uh, to meet is around 6.1, by the way, so 6.5 is significantly above average for running backs who go on to have uh, a successful NFL fantasy production, I guess. Um, but his average points per game is 15, which is high for the conference, which is a 12 points per game uh, average overall. But his best points per game is like 19, which is just okay-ish when you look at history of past running backs in their best season in the conferences they played in. So, yeah, he stands out that year, This, but I don't know about it. Um, Elijah Mitchell also has uh, some physical issues I guess if we're going to try and read how well the NFL likes him I seem to remember 201 pounds six foot tall I mean that's fine it's not the 220 uh, back that the NFL secretly just wants to draft but perhaps a little undersized so sermon um, in that regard as well if I remember right 
this is weird, I'm just reading a list. This is not a list podcast. No, even Trey Sermon's 215 pounds. So yeah, Elijah Mitchell's a little smaller, which I don't mind personally, but it might, might affect which team drafts him and how much draft capital he gets. Um, either way, I think he's worth a look in the potential uh, second round, depending on what happens in the draft. After that, I've got this tier of running backs that I'm really interested in, but I don't really want to spend a second round pick on. This is where, interestingly enough, in the 2021 class, you get the 220-pound guys who could carry a workload in traditional what we think a running back looks like. Uh, Spencer Brown was actually really efficient and really productive, but played to an older age for four years, being dominant with 4,000 total yards. 86 yards per game, um, uh, he literally never caught 20 passes. Again, in this tier where I'm interested in him, but I I don't know about the upside, and I think they were productive in easier, quote-unquote, situations or lower conferences. My pre-draft model actually loved his production because he was being so dominant for so long. And because he's playing against lower conferences, his, his adjusted yards per team attempt, for example, are a little elevated. Um, but he is coming out with 863 touches, which is actually a little high for running backs. But we're not spending almost anything on him. I just think he was really good in the Cursor West. Um, as a running back, and there is a lack of big, powerful running backs in this class, and the NFL might be looking at someone like Spencer Brown. Another guy who kind of fits that mold is Jarrett Patterson. Also, uh, Ramondre Stevenson. Um, Stevenson's interesting because he didn't get to dominate for a long time like Patterson and Brown. He actually only got to play two years, only one year as the lead running back, and that was 2020. So we're actually talking about 230-pound-ish running back who's six foot tall and only got... He, I don't think he crossed 700 rushing, rushing yards in a single season, which is normally not who we're looking at. But um, his best 6.3 weighted yards per team attempt is actually good, even when you compare him to past Oklahoma running backs. He's not like top five, um, like we were saying with Najee Harris historically, but it's actually a pretty good average on a fairly good team that the NFL might be a little bit more interested in, even despite his lower numbers and limited sample because of uh, the 2020 season just because there's a lack of guys that kind of fit that profile this year. Chris Evans is a running back someone mentioned to me, so I looked him up. I didn't I didn't find too much to like. He never really got, got the role, but uh, yeah, he's there, and he's got the same name as Captain America, so that's neat. And Javon Hawkins is just another name that has some fairly interesting athletic measurements, but he's actually severely undersized compared to what the running back wants, uh, what the NFL wants at least. He only played 13 games in one year. Again, another feature of this class. So, eh, yeah, we'll have to see if any team takes a shot on him. But he's 183 pounds and five foot eight. So I don't, I don't know about that. Um, but he might be interesting in the right spot, just given his athleticism. He had some marginal work in the receiving game. He had like four receptions in his second season, and um, when he played those 13, but but the thing is, he got 58 yards on those four receptions. I don't know that's a receiving history, but it was notably efficient on the four receptions he had. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's in his favor. Um, I've got one, a one-player fifth tier, which is just a Merrick Felton, because I don't know what he is, but he's listed as running back. He kind of played wide receiver and running back, but not in the same way that Curtis Samuel did or even Antonio Gibson. He was like... 
He's just weird, man. I kind of like that, but also I don't know if the NFL will take a shot on it. And I don't really have players to compare him to, given the role he was having. But he's interesting, so I just put him in a separate tier right at the end here, just to see and remind myself to check him out in the draft. And that's running backs. Wow, that was long. Um, let's do tight end. That should be quick. Uh, tight end ranks, I guess. All right, so uh, I don't have Carl Pitts at number one. I'm joking. Yeah, I've got Carl Pitts at number one in a very different tier to himself. You can even just listen to ADP at this point. He's being drafted higher in rookie drafts than anyone, any rookie tight end has ever, uh, especially going back to 2014, while DLF has a history of it. And Evan Ingram is the nearest comparison in ADP. He's also the most recent comparison in terms of his physical limitations. Carl Pitts is slightly undersized, being slightly under 250 pounds. Um, but that puts him in the Evan Ingram and Jordan Reed tier of a, a strictly receiving tight end. And honestly, he did that fairly well in college. We're talking about a player who never had uh, 800 yards or more in college. But for a tight end, that's actually pretty good. I get it. Um, and, you know, ADP's telling us this is a different kind of cat. Mostly, I, but, yeah, but I get it. There's not much that can make his value go down this time next year, and he doesn't have to do much this season to actually see a value increase. But you're talking about Evan Ingram, who only had a positive or actually youthful uh, rookie fantasy season in his first year. Could Kyle Pitts be the second one to do it? Sure. But um, there's a place for him in the first round, and he's definitely a, a clearly different prospect to the tight end position than we've had for a very long time, and so I'm interested in him there. But I, I don't know yet. I, I imagine someone else is going to pull the trigger before I do. Uh, speaking of receiving tight ends, I've got Brevin Jordan as my second-ranked tight end in tier, the start of Tier 2. Brevin Jordan was actually a larger part of the receiving game on a lower passing offense. Not lower passing offense, they just had less receiving yards. So he's got a higher percentage, but a lower yards total, which I think is pretty interesting. He too is also, however, a little undersized. He came in under 250 pounds, for example. None of these guys are small. They're small compared to Gronk and Graham and Travis Kelsey, which is really the problem. Um, but... I would say that Brevin Jordan was as much of a receiver in his situation as Kyle Pitts was in his. He just doesn't have the heights that Kyle Pitts was able to reach um, in the SEC uh, on a slightly higher passing offense. But I think Brevin Jordan's actually pretty interesting. I'm, my simplest view of looking at tight ends is just to go to their last year or their best year if you want. But I typically use last year because, again, that's just this one that statistically profiles that way. Uh, as the best one to look at for tight ends because of the weirdness of the tight end position, and then rank uh, on, y- on yards per team pass attempts basis, um, just to get a basic idea of how good these players were um, compared to each other, at least, um, in one of the better stats to actually look at tight ends on. Um, and that order is Kyle Pitts, Brevin Jordan. <laughs> That's partly the reason. In the last year, Kyle Pitts has a 1.4 yards per team uh, attempt, 2.54 yards per team pass attempt, which is exceptionally high. The average for players is around 1.6. So Kyle Pitts is almost doubling it, but so do most good 
prospects that go on to be useful in their best or last year. Brevin Jordan had 2.32 yards per team attempt, which, again, isn't that much less than Pitts and is significantly above the average. Um, but it's less, and, you know, everyone loves Pitts, so there you go. But I do like Jordan, but as an undersized tight end, I, I, both of them kind of fit that mold. Uh, Pat Furramuth, I don't know how to say that name. Um, I know, he's a tight end that's playing for Penn State in the Big Ten East, I guess. He actually comes in third in that yards per team pass attempt metric in there last year or best year. He's got a 2.28 last year in yards per team attempt, which isn't, again, that much less than Brevin Jordan. Um, and, yeah, he's got a pretty interesting profile. He's built more typically for the position as well. He crosses that eye test of 250 pounds and over six foot four, I think he is. Um, and so he's actually more in the traditional mold of a Travis Kelsey than Kyle Pitts is. Kyle Pitts is more of an Evan Ingram or a Jordan Reed. And um, Pat Faramuth is honestly more of a Travis Kelsey Gronk Graham in terms of his physical build and had pretty good stats in his last season. He's currently ranked as a tight end two, according to most draft boards and most ADP. I put Brevin Jordan a little above him just because if this is the year we're drafting receiving tight ends, Brevin looks like a pretty good one to me too but honestly yeah I, I get why you'd put the guy who's actually physically built like most tight ends with a decent um uh, couple of stats in his last year year there he was he was very good last year um at Penn State so I get it and uh yeah I, I just put him third because if I'm allowed to rank smaller guys high this year apparently because of pits then I'm just gonna squeeze Brevin Jordan in there um rounding out my second tier at tight end is actually Kenny Yaboa I believe is how you pronounce it but he's going to be called Kenny Yaboy and you know it I think he already is I hope he doesn't mind because I don't think <laughs> I don't think any of us are gonna go back from that once we realize that his name looks like Yaboy. Either way, he actually comes out next in that yards per team pass attempt in their last year's stat, if you rank this class by it. And again, significantly above that 1.6 average, but we're talking about the best or last season, so, you know, it's it, 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 it's meant to be higher. Um, but yeah, he, he comes right under Pat Ferramuth there. Did I get did I get even close with that? Either way, um, I think he had a really good season. He's also, like Pat... Outro music. I'm not done yet. Come on now. I'm near, I, even the outro wants me to shut up. All right, so I'll speed this up. Um, he's also someone that's built like a traditional tight end. He's over 250 pounds. He is over six foot four. Um, and again, he had uh, what was it? Uh, I lost. I lost track of the thing. Oh yeah, t- uh, 2.24 yards per team pass attempt, which again is within the range of being above the average for tight ends who go on to have significant fantasy production, and he's actually built for the position. So Pat and Kenny, which sounds like an episode of a TV show or something, good old Pat and Kenny, um, but they're actually the more traditional uh, type of profiles we'd be seeking if there weren't these high role producers of slightly undersized Brevin Jordans and Kyle Pitts's. Kenny, your boy, and Pat Framworth, I think are really interesting. Um, I also like, actually, that Kenny, your boy, your boa, uh, didn't take a traditional path to that last year. He actually played four years. He's coming at a slightly older age, like Pat, actually, at 22 years old. Um, he skipped around another team before eventually transferring into the, the SEC West, which is a really good conference for wide receivers. 
not so much for tight ends, but there you go. Um, 11% of tight ends in, uh, since 2000 have been drafted from the SEC West with third-round draft capital, though. So the NFL is aware of it. Um, and he's got these four stinky seasons where he basically does nothing, and then he transfers to Mississippi in the SEC West and has easily as good a season as anyone in this class. And yeah, I'm talking about Pitts. I get that Pitts is higher than most, but I don't see anything that literally screams and I shouldn't because most tight ends don't scream uh, th- that he's going to be generational. He was the best, and this is a really good class compared to like last year, and in fact most years, but this is not an anti-Kyle Pitts podcast, damn it. But I think Kenny Yaboy, Kenny Yaboa and Pat Faramuth honestly have more prototypical builds for the position, and both had pretty impressive stats in their last season and Kenny also has this thing where most tight ends don't look like the perfect tight end before becoming the perfect tight end and he's the one on the list that has that weirdness where he played at a lower conference for three years doing basically nothing then transfers up into the SEC West and suddenly is you know freaking baby gronk baby gronk so yeah I actually kind of like that on his profile um Okay, outro music. I see you playing. Yeah, the next guy I've got is uh, Hunter Long. I'm not going to get into it too far. It's a separate tier. I think he's fairly interesting. Um, check him out a little bit more, I guess. Um, he's above average in yards per team pass attempt, but not in the same way those other guys are. Jake Ferguson rounds out um, another tier. I've got both of those in just separate tiers. Like, I like Hunter Long in the tier. Then I like Jake Ferguson in a separate tier as tight end six. He might be a little underrated, both Fant and Hawkinson were drafted from this same conference. Um, Ferguson was uh, much more productive in comparison to, uh, and comparable to Hawkinson, was actually a little bit more productive than Fant when you're looking at last year uh, specifically. Um, And he was above average uh, compared to his conference in yards per team pass attempt. I think he might be worth checking out, but we'll see if he even, I don't know, goes to the draft i don't know the last guy on the list is just someone that's ranked by dlf adp and my only note on him is i don't get it and um, so another tier i guess and tight end seven is tommy trimble i mean i looked and people were telling me oh yeah that's the sleeper of the class but and maybe he is but like i i don't get it he had 16 receptions when at 19 years old, 19 receptions at 19 years old. I guess I like that symmetry, but as far as I can tell, he hasn't really played the position yet. And I don't have his pro day numbers so far. He played at Notre Dame, I guess that's why. But I don't get why he's the only other tight end ranked in DLF ADP or why he's the sleeper of the class. So, you know, hit me up and let me know. Now, my wide receiver ranks... Oh, sorry. Wide receiver ranks, I guess. Um, I actually finalized live on stream um, this past Monday, whatever that day is for you. I don't know. It's like, what day is it? Wednesday today? I don't know. Um, But I actually made a change to it. I lied. I was talking about how I do pre-draft ranks and lock them in and put the date next to it. And this video is out here. And then like two days later, I was like, I want to change something. So I did. But again, you can check out my pre-draft ranks on the PA Howdy ranks. Uh, uh, what is this, a formula? No, it's a spreadsheet um, where I'm listing my NFL ranks, my startup ranks, as it were, in Superflex leagues. But also I'm, I've been putting these rookie notes and stuff in there. It's on Patreon, okay? Like, give me money. I'm just joking. But yeah, that's where the link is. Um, but yeah, the change I made was actually pushing Devontae Smith up. 
that's mostly because like he measured in for his medical today at like 166 pounds so his bmi and his size got even worse and i was like so i gotta push him up right that's the logical conclusion just go go in when when everyone else is running away you you go in right i don't know i did though um pretty simple i've got jamar chase and rashad bateman in tier one like i i I love them i think they're great i i I think uh i want both of them a lot um yeah yeah they they did everything i want um chase didn't play that last year but his age of 19 season was good enough and he's coming from the sec west and absolutely every take outside of that uh confirms that the age 19 season was pretty awesome um, and I guess he played with Justin Jefferson, so who doesn't like him? Um, in my second tier, I've got Elijah Moore, then Devontae Smith. Ah, I pushed him over. Rondell Moore. And that's my tier two. Um, my tier one, these are the wide receivers I want to trade up and get. Those are the ones I am targeting. And um, this tier two, their considerations in the first round, I want all of them. I think they all have great profiles with different problems. Devontae Smith is small, only really displayed it at a later age, but then really did display it. Um, Rondell Moore displayed it really young and then never played again. He had a great age 18 season. He was playing pretty much just a slot role. But so was Trevor Terrence Marshall last year, which no one ever mentions. Like He's not a slot player, though, obviously. Anyway, uh, Elijah Moore is short, and I could not give a flip how short he is. I really don't. He's playing for the SEC West. He broke out at 19. He's got a 4.1. Yards dominant. I mean, the guy is actually pretty much off the charts all the way around, and he's the only guy no one wants to talk about teammate score this year. And he played with DK Metcalf and AJ Brown, but we're gonna adjust everyone else up, just not the guy who actually was good. Anyway, but yeah, I kind of love Elijah Moore too, um, and I don't care about his shortness problem. And that's my tier two. After that, I've got wide receivers. I typically want in the second round i guess but we'll see where they land that's my third tier description i guess Taylor wallace sits on the top followed by seth williams followed by dimey brown and i get dimey brown's everyone's favorite sleeper but honestly i still prefer Taylor and seth um just i think dimey brown's skill set is very valuable in the nfl and very unreliable in the nfl like everyone wants to ding the slot guy but those are those those are the targets we want because they're consistent and we get points for every one and the outside guy who's got speed and is a little small I, I don't know about that but um i do think he has a pretty decent profile didn't get to 30 percent breakout threshold so he doesn't have a breakout age at the 30 percent threshold but you know i don't care about that if everything else looks good a la t higgins and Dimey brown fits that mold he was productive enough that i'm not worried about not getting to 30 percent overall then i have terence marshall and jalen waddle because i've got to have him somewhere and people who watch film assure me they're good and the best i can say about their numbers is they did not play enough and that's fair fine um i'm willing to believe that they're good just that, that their production is better than it is because we can times it by a number or just shrink everyone else's numbers like i that's never happened i get that there are weird conditions around the 2020 season but like can i just say they didn't play enough and then trust that they are good on tape like that's what i do and that's how i weighed it and i prefer the players that were good and we're going through a similar time period frankly and and did it earlier as well and we're good earlier and we're better last year because they actually played longer 
And this isn't to ding either Terence Marshall or anyone else for sitting out. I would have freaking sat out. I think it was a very good decision. But it means I don't know how good you are in your last season. And even if I give it, give everything to him, like say last year he was phenomenal, which he wasn't, but say he was going to be, that's a late career breakout. And I like that worse than players who, again, do the same thing but do it earlier. It's just, 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 just my default. So even if I give him last year was spectacular, I still prefer Taylor Wallace and Seth Williams, and the draft capital is probably going to sort that out for me. But, you know, that's where I'm at. Jalen Waddle, I actually kind of like Jalen Waddle the best. I mean, he played the least, has the worst numbers overall, but he has the heights in yards per team pass attempt. Something Terrence Marshall, like, he averages 2.5, and the average for breakouts in the NFL is 2.96. Like, even in his best sample, that seven games everyone wants to talk about being the proof, he was below average on a per-game basis. Jalen Waddle wasn't. He just also played even less, um, and I know more about the players that played longer. So the NFL is probably going to teach me a lesson to move them up just based on draft capital. So yeah, um, but as Jake, uh, previous co-host on this show, reminded me on Twitter, it's love or hate, so I guess I hate him. There you go. Um, and I think I'm going to stop the ranks there. I will say that Chateris Atwell is still one of my deep, you know, I was going to say love, but I guess we have to use the word sleeper because we're all high T around here, right? <coughs> but he measured in even tinier than Devontae Smith today, and he's not going to get draft capital to boost him up. Um, uh, I, I, I thought I thought he was really productive at Louisville, but he's tiny guy. He, he's, he's king of team tiny guy, and he has no hope of draft capital. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying goodnight to him. I just wanted to give him a shout-out here. He's still one, still one of my favorites in this class, but it's looking unlikely. Uh, Jalen Darden's actually interesting. i got to make a YouTube video on him. And, uh, yeah, there's some fewer than the interesting names here, but I'm going to stop because I'm at 40 minutes and my voice is going. Um, all right. Uh, let me know if that was interesting or if you want to hear about any one player in particular. We're... We're moving on to the draft next week. I've got someone coming on the podcast. I've got an interview tomorrow. So hopefully we'll get an extra Crossroads episode in before then. And uh, yeah, let me know how you're doing. All right. I hope everything's okay. I don't know why I'm ending it this way, but I just genuinely, genuinely wanted to ask. How you, how you doing? Everything all right? Haven't heard from you in a while. All right. I'm out. Thanks again for listening. If you did, let me know why my ranks stink and we'll fight about it. Appreciate it. Bye. Yeah. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and they on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight. Back and forth, there is no order, they disorder more and more. Because the players ain't no older, they some hoarders or some mortars. Dropping bombs without no borders, you got that, I, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road. Go, clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so Jake on the table and they on the plays, though Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so Jake on the table and they on the plays, though
repeating no more, it's a place they're analytical.